Our scripture reading this morning you will find in the prophecy of Isaiah. The prophecy of Isaiah, chapter 7. From chapter 7, I will read the verses 1 to 17. And then we'll turn to chapter 8 and read the verses 5 through 8. Isaiah chapter 7. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out to meet Ahaz, you and Sha'ar Yashub, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin and, and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remaliah has devised evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and terrify it and let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tebal as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, and it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and that of Damascus is Rezin. And within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remaliah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, that it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And then turning to chapter 8, beginning at, beginning at verse 5, the Lord spoke to me again. Because this people has refused the water of Shiloh that flowed gently 
and rejoice over Rezin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against, against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria and all his glory, and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. And I will sweep on into Judah, and it will sweep on into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even the neck. And its outspread wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. So far the reading of God's holy word. We now join and sing together our song of preparation. Our text for this morning you will find in the passage which was read from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, and then also from Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, 23, and Matthew 28, verse 20. These words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then from chapter 1 of Matthew, these words. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then from chapter 28, the last verse. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Advent, the coming of Christ, it means salvation, full and free, or, yes, or it means judgment and damnation through Christ who came. The Advent days are drawing to a close again. Soon now we will celebrate the birth of Jesus, our Savior, the Emmanuel, God with us. And today, perhaps more than ever before, today the Christian longs for and seeks the comfort of the Christmas gospel. For we sense it, the darkness, the millions of Christmas lights notwithstanding, the darkness is greater today than ever before. And as the darkness begins to close in more and more, we realize, we recognize that there is only one light that remains. As Church of Jesus Christ, we want to confess that light, the light which shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot wipe it out. Think of it. Celebrating the birth of Christ does not mean, does it, that we for a while close our eyes to all the disturbing, all the troubling events of the past year. It doesn't mean, does it, that for a couple of days we forget about the challenges and the dangers of the task 
to which we are called as bearers of the light. But uh, but celebrating the birth of Jesus does mean that in the darkness that is and that is to come, no one can take the light away from us. For the comfort remains. God, our God, is with us. Oh, there is a tremendous depth to that sure promise of God. Also for us today, you begin to see that and to understand that uh, and to appreciate that when you pay attention to the unfolding of the Emmanuel prophecy in the history of redemption. I'm afraid sometimes that we do that, that we do know about the messianic texts of Scripture. We've learned to recite them in school. So we do know the words of Isaiah seven fourteen. The second part only usually Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But about how many know the context wherein that word of promise was spoken to us. She, without really paying much attention to the passage, that is, to the context wherein that text word was placed by Isaiah, people were and are quick to say, here Isaiah is talking only about the birth of Jesus. And so this text became the classic proof text that Jesus would be born of a virgin, which surely he was. But about that is not, first of all, the point of the text in Isaiah. Failing to see that is to fail, is to ignore and to forget the concrete historical context wherein the Lord God gave the Emmanuel promise. And so it comes about that the reality, the concreteness of the comfort of this promise to us escapes us altogether. I'm going to speak on Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to pay attention to the three stages of that promise as follows. The promise to Ahaz, the promise to Joseph, and the promise to us. First of all, then, the promise to Ahaz. The moment you pay some careful attention to the context of Isaiah 7 verse 14, you will make some surprising discoveries. It is important, you see, to remember that the events recorded by Isaiah in chapter 7 took place in the days of Ahaz, who was a distant relative of King David. And David, as you know, is the man to whom the Lord God had promised, I, 
I will make you a house. As a matter of fact, the Lord had then added the words, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And then as it were to make doubly sure that David could not possibly misunderstand, the Lord had repeated his word of promise to David by saying, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Well, Ahaz had now ascended the throne of David. And it didn't take him very long to discover that he was embroiled up to his ears in a host of problems. The ten tribes he referred to as Ephraim, see the ten tribes had made an alliance with Syria. And together, those two powers had declared war on Judah, on King Ahaz. Well, now, it doesn't take an Einstein or a Churchill to figure out that, humanly speaking, that was an impossible situation for Ahaz and for Judah, right? And if you then add to that, The fact that Edom and the Philistines were also attacking Judah, then it is clear that from a military point of view, the situation for Judah was hopeless. Just imagine it, being attacked literally from every side, including being attacked by your own brothers from up north. What was Ahaz to do? Had the king of Judah, on the throne of Father David, saw only one solution. He contacted the king of Assyria and sought an alliance with him. If you then remember that the king of Assyria was by far the strongest monarch of his day, But then you may be tempted to think Ahaz made a smart move. He must have been a clever politician. But if you are tempted to think that way, then you must stop for just a moment and think about the special character of Judah and about the special character of the kingship of Ahaz. Who were the people of Judah. Why, they were the people of Yahweh, right? They were the children of the covenant. They were the Lord's own, his special, his precious possession. And Ahaz, don't forget, Ahaz was sitting on the throne of that kingdom of which the Lord God had said, it shall be forever. When you think about it for just a moment, you realize that this is not simply a battle of one political power against another political power. Surely not. 
After all, if Judah is indeed the people of the Lord, the church of the Old Testament, then that fact, that fact alone determines her place among the nations. Moreover, then Judah had to show that. Ah, yes, then she has to show that she is God's own people. Then all her policies, both domestic and foreign, must be determined by that covenantal relationship. For thus says the Lord, cursed, curses the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his arm. In other words, King Ahaz may only conduct his battles in faith. He had to remember and to live the word which the Lord had spoken to Abraham long before. I, I am your shield. That word was his assurance. Also now, in this most frighteningly serious time. And yes, that, that had to be enough for him. He simply could not, he may not lean on Assyria. But now, it is in that concrete historical context that the Lord sent his prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz. Ah, yes, he sent Isaiah with the promise that he, the Lord God Almighty, he would surely frustrate the plans, the efforts of Syria and of Ephraim. But, as is the case with every promise of the Lord, this promise also had to be responded to, that is, it had to be accepted by faith. If you will not believe, said the Lord, surely you, Ahaz, you shall not be established. You hear it? If Ahaz were to plan to proceed with his Assyria policy, why then his kingdom would be ruined, said the Lord. But you can well imagine it. It was not an easy thing to believe that promise. Not with all those enemies surrounding him, breathing down his neck, ready to pounce on him. After all, humanly speaking, there was not a ghost of a chance that Judah would or could be delivered. But, but the Lord knew that also. See, that is why Isaiah had to go and say to the king, Ahaz, you may ask for a sign. Something like Gideon with those fleeces, remember? Ahaz, said the Lord, in effect. Ahaz, I know that you are in a tough spot. Therefore, you may ask me for a sign. You may reach down as deep as Sheol, the grave, or you may reach up as high as heaven, 
but ask. Ask for a sign by which I, the Lord, Yahweh, may prove to you the truth, the trustworthiness of my word to you. You've got to think about it for a moment. The wonder of that. The Lord God sees us in our weakness. And he says to us, you may ask of me. But Ahaz, Ahaz refused to ask. Can you imagine that? And in an effort to bolster his refusal, the king quotes a text. Think of it. King Ahaz dares to quote the word of the Lord against the speaking of the Lord by the mouth of his prophet Isaiah. Moses, remember, guided by the Holy Spirit, Moses had written in Deuteronomy chapter 6, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Because putting the Lord to the test is really to ask the Lord for a sign. A sign by which he must prove to you that his word of promise to you is worthy of trust, of acceptance by you. People who commit that sin want to see with their eyes what the Lord tells them to believe. Believe with all their heart. They demand that the Lord give them something concrete rather than mere words of promise. With Abram of all, they say, O Lord God, what will you give me? To be sure, Ahaz now says, I only want to believe. I will not ask to see a thing. That sounds rather pious, right? I will not ask, he says, and I will not put the Lord to the test. But these words were in fact an expression of rebellion. They expressed an outright refusal to believe. For don't forget, it was the Lord God himself who by mouth of his servant Isaiah had said to Ahaz, Ahaz, you may see in order that you may the better believe. Think of the Lord's Supper here. Remember, it is a visible sign and seal of God's word of promise to us, of which we may, but also of which we must partake. But Ahaz, see, Ahaz had the audacity to say to Isaiah, I don't want to see a thing. Ahaz refused to see, you understand, because he refused to believe. Ah, but the sign 
nevertheless does come. The Lord God himself gave a sign to Ahaz. Don't forget, the opening words of verse 14 are words that were addressed by Isaiah specifically to King Ahaz. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you, King Ahaz, a sign. Those opening words are then followed by the words that tell the sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I want to note here in passing that the word used by Isaiah, which the RSV correctly, I believe, translates as young woman, is a word that can either refer to a maiden or to a young married woman. And if it is the latter, then it refers to a woman who has not as yet born a child. Well, it is clear that Isaiah is, address, is addressing this word to King Ahaz. He says to the unbelieving king, a young woman bearing a son. That is the sign which the Lord God is giving to you. It is a concrete sign, the fulfillment of which the king, you, O king, will see with your own eyes. Oh yes, the king had refused a sign, but the Lord nevertheless gave a sign to him. See, Abby, or Abijah, her name means, my father is Yahweh. Abby, the king's own wife, would give birth to a son whom she would name Hezekiah, a name meaning Yahweh is my strength. And see, in the birth of that son, the Lord gave the sign that he was with his people and that he would surely give deliverance from the enemy to his people. Remember, Isaiah had to say to Ahaz, before the child, the child whom Ahaz would see with his own eyes, remember, before the child knows how to refuse the evil and do the good. In other words, before the child is old enough to know the difference between good and evil, the land before whose two kings, you, Ahaz, are in dread, will be deserted. Oh yes, Ahaz refused to believe the Lord's word of promise to him. See, that is why the promise would be fulfilled by way of judgment. That's what the rest of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8 record. 
only a remnant of the people, those who walk by faith and not in the way of this people, those who did not place their trust in Assyria, but placed their trust in the Lord. Only a remnant of the people would experience the fulfillment of the promise unto blessing as given to Ahaz. The Lord with us. See, that word was no longer the promise of the Lord unto salvation to all who were of Judah. Rather, it was the promise of the Lord to the faithful remnant living in what Isaiah now speaks of as your land, O Emmanuel. The only other Old Testament passage that records the name Emmanuel. Oh yes, the promises of the Lord are very sure. But we must remember it well. The blessing of the promise is for those only who believe. With that I move on to the second point, the promise to Joseph. You see, many years later, the promise was again given to the house of David. That happened when Joseph, the rightful heir to the throne of Father David, was planning to leave Mary. Oh, the times were again dark for the house of David and for David's people. The Romans had captured them, and the Romans were oppressing them more and more. They had shortly before this passed a new law. Every Jew had to return to the city of his fathers to be enrolled so as to be taxed by Rome. For Joseph, that was a bitter pill. He too would have to go, and just now he has found out that Mary, to whom he was engaged to be married, had been unfaithful to him, or so he thinks. Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, had resolved to divorce her quietly writes Matthew. Ah, the future of the church appeared even darker than it had been in the days of Ahaz. But an angel, the angel of the Lord, appeared to Joseph in a dream, says Matthew, as he considered divorcing Mary. That angel explained Mary's secret to him. Mary has not been unfaithful to you, said the angel. Rather, that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And see, when Matthew writes that, why then suddenly, Enlightened by the Holy Spirit, you understand. Matthew understood the tremendous significance of those words. Ah, you see, the Emmanuel sign 
was about to come to another, to a much more glorious fulfillment. For did you hear? The Lord was again announcing to the house of David the birth of a son, as he had done also in the days of Ahaz. History was about to be repeated. Oh no, it would not be a bare repetition, rather it would be a real fulfillment. The birth of Hezekiah, remember, was a guarantee of the promise, God with us. That promise had been given in a particular time to Judah, that is to the Old Testament church, when the powers of Syria and of Ephraim threatened her. Now the word of promise was repeated to the house of David and through it to the covenant people of the Lord. And there were many again in Israel who responded to this word of promise the way their forefathers had responded in the days of Ahaz. They despised the God-given sign. They refused to believe in Jesus. They refused to believe that Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, the God with us promise had become reality. They refused to seek their salvation in a childlike faith and trust in God, in his faithfulness to his word of promise. Instead, they sought it in all kinds of maneuvers as Ahaz had done. I see the zealots, the scribes, the Pharisees, each in his own way said, the Lord is with us. But about they had forgotten that the Emmanuel promise is fulfilled unto salvation only to those who believe. It is fulfilled unto salvation only to those who, by faith, accept, receive God's sign. And so it is, you see, that so it is that the fulfillment of the promise came again by way of judgment. The, the sign despising Jews had to bear the yoke of the Roman oppressor unto the bitter end, the destruction of Jerusalem and its temple. Only a remnant of faithful ones, of believing ones, experienced the reality of the Emmanuel promise unto salvation. God with us did not mean the deliverance of all Israel. It meant deliverance for those only who proved, who showed themselves to be Israel by their faith. That brings me to the last point, the promise to us. You see, we mustn't stop here. Because, you see, the Emmanuel promise was given yet once again, this time to us, the Church of Jesus Christ. That happened on the day of Christ's ascension. Then our Savior left his church, remember, with the promise, Lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. You hear it right away. 
That is again the promise of God with us. Only this time that promise was given without a sign. It was given without any visible guarantee. But this promise is the richest of all. Because you see, now the promise is no longer given for a specific time only. Or in a particular difficult situation only. Now the promise is permanent. Now it remains forever. Always. I am Emmanuel, says the Savior to us. And see, we may live by that promise today. Of that promise, it is a power. That promise, it is an active reality. No matter what dangers may threaten us today, no matter how overwhelming the the problems we face, always we have the promise, I am your Savior and your Lord. I am Emmanuel. I am with you always. Then you understand also that the Emmanuel sign is not going to be repeated when we celebrate Christmas this week. No, we will not receive a single new guarantee that God is is with us. We will simply remember the guarantee given of old. See, the only certainty we have that God is with us today lies in the Christmas fact of many centuries ago. And that, that will have to do There will be no new sign given. About the Emmanuel promise will be heard again. More beautiful than it was heard in the days of Ahaz and of Joseph. Because you see, God is indeed with us all the days of our life. To the close of the age And see, that is why it is so very important that we remember this, the fulfillment of the promise unto blessing. It has, from days of old, been linked to faith. If you will not believe, said the Lord to Ahaz, surely you shall not be established. Such is the Lord's warning His word of warning to us today also. Now think of it. Many people throughout the land, throughout the world, many people will celebrate Christmas this year. And possibly there will be a longing in their hearts. Oh Lord, be with us. Oh Lord, Be with me. But we must know it very surely. The Emmanuel promise, the God with us promise, it is unto blessing for those only who truly believe. Now Christmas becomes 
a dangerous day. Because, you see, there are many people who do not believe, who nevertheless celebrate this day. Their unbelief comes to expression in a variety of ways. I mentioned two. Ahaz, remember, refused to believe the sign, as did many in Israel, also in the days of Christ's birth. They rejected the sign because they refused to believe the word, the word of promise of their God. But today, when no new sign is given, today people worship the signs given in days of old. The babe, the manger, the shepherds, the angels. While they steadfastly refuse to believe that Jesus, the Christ, is the fulfillment of those signs. They refuse to believe that he is the word of God made flesh. So, though they celebrate Christmas, they refuse to worship the Savior, the gift of God's love. That, oh yes, that is their death, their eternal condemnation unless they repent. The other expression of unbelief you find in a humanitarian Christianity. It does, in a manner of speaking, talk of Jesus as the incarnate word. But, oh, but it fails. Oh, yes, it refuses to recognize the once-for-all character of the incarnation. See, the fact that God, in Jesus Christ, came to bring reconciliation through his blood, see, that fact is pushed into the background. It is ignored. It has no use for that. Rather, this Christianity wants to focus on what we are, what the church is for humanity as it blithely ignores the foundation, the only foundation whereon it must stand in order that it may, can be, Christian. This humanitarian Christianity, see, it too refuses to hear the word of the Lord unto salvation. Once you see that, you understand why Christmas is such a dangerous day. For then you see it, the fulfillment of the promise today, it still comes by way of judgment. It is still true, the blessing of the fulfillment comes only to a remnant chosen by grace. See, that, that is a thing we must know, believe, confess for our Christmas celebration this year. Because then and so, we will have perspective on all the happenings of our day. 
on the many forms of unrighteousness and on the injustice that is corrupting the land. Remembered well, those happenings are not in conflict with the fact of Christmas. Rather, from days of old, they have been linked with it. Oh yes, then we tremble and we pray, lest we fall under the same judgment. And we will struggle that also in our Christmas celebrations this week, we may ever fight the good fight of faith. We know it for sure now, Christmas without faith means judgment unto condemnation. But also, Christmas, celebrated in faith, means Emmanuel, God with us, to the close of the age, unto eternal salvation. Praise the Lord. Amen.